All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers, and welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. And I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, experiences. We share these in hopes that it will build you up as it has built us up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. <laughs> oh, Tari J. Oh, oh, when you when you started that when you started that podcast intro, I huh? closed my I closed my eyes and I took a deep breath, but I waited too long to exhale. Oh, I see. Ah, oh, I get it. That was a that was a journey. I took a I took a journey with you right there. <laughs> I I like really I played into it. There was some performance. Like I did some impediment work. Like did you yeah. did you believe that I hadn't had a breath full of air in in too many seconds? I think you did. I bet you did. I feel comfortable speaking for you on this one. You bought it. Um, please don't take my voice away from me. <laughs> uh, I have notes i would have i could have done with a uh i don't know like a, a vast inhale of some sort or like a like a like a something to to really represent that that expulsion of air but you know uh you did it on the fly you can't hold improvisation to uh you know theater standards you know what i'm saying yeah we're holding this it. machine together with spit and duct tape Yuck. Uh, <laughs> so today we are talking about the 1995 American romance film, the directorial debut of Forrest Whitaker, starring Whitney Houston, Angela Bassett, Leah Rashawn, Loretta Devine, Gregory Hines is in this B, Dennis Haysbert, uh, Bubba, uh, who else we got? Michael Beach. We have a uh, uncredited role by Wesley Snipes. They didn't even know what they had yet, baby. Donald Faison is in this B. Wendell Pierce, bro. Everybody is in this movie. Oh, we also got a an another uncredited uh, appearance by uh, Giancarlo Esposito. Ever they didn't know what they had yet either. Wow! If, if they did, they'd be like, "We got to credit these two people so we can be like, yo, motherfucker, we have future stars on our joint." <laughs> uh, and so this was my pick. And I brought it to Lex Michael. So let me pitch this real quick, even though I I'd mostly already sold it. But if you love uh, romances based on books uh, that uh, show the realistic problems facing women, especially black women, when it comes to romance and dating and uh, living your best life, then you are going to love Waiting to Exhale. Also, it has a bomb ass soundtrack this soundtrack was made by babyface uh and the all the songs featured on the soundtrack i guess technically the it was scored by babyface and all the songs on the soundtrack uh were 
black women and they all were bangers so that's waiting to exhale baby b lex this was your first time watching it what did you what were your what are your initial thoughts uh i had a great time with this movie i had somehow never seen it this is a movie that uh i i'd been vaguely familiar with uh by which i mean i was aware of what the poster art looked like and i knew the name of the movie and i knew that it starred whitney houston and angela bassett and that was about it um and so jumping in i wasn't really sure what to expect and what i will say is it is extremely 90s and i think it deals with uh sort of dating and romance and relationships in a very sort of 90s cinematic way but within that i found this movie absolutely delightful i found it um alternately surprisingly funny like i laughed far more frequently than i expected to but also um at turns surprisingly tender as well and it's very difficult in my opinion to watch this movie and not come away like genuinely caring for each of these women. And in fact, I'll go one further wanting desperately uh, for all of these women to be my friends. Like uh, there's a couple of couple of scenes in the movie where you get the four of them hanging out together and I'm sitting there going, why wasn't I invited? I want to be there. (laughs) I want to be there. They're my friends now. Um, But, but yes, I think the, the four lead characters are, really likable and really easy to empathize with. And I also think that the supporting cast is phenomenal as well. And yeah, I I did not look up anybody who was in this movie before I watched it. So if they weren't on the poster, I didn't know they were in it till I saw their name in the opening titles. And if their name wasn't there, I didn't know they were in this movie until they show up in front of the camera. So like you say, like, you know, Giancarlo Esposito shows up at one point. Wesley Snipes shows up at one point. Um, I didn't know Wendell Pierce was in this. Uh, so you get these really great um, supporting performances that fill out this world, but all in service of propping up these four female characters. And I am not at all surprised that um, uh, Whitney Houston and Angela Bassett are as good as they are. But for me, like Lila Rashan and Loretta Devine were both sort of revelations in this movie to me, because even though like Loretta Devine, especially, I know I've seen other work of hers, but very rarely do I get to see her sort of take center stage and hold down at least a full 25% of a movie all her own. And, and so I was really sort of blown away by, uh, their work as well. But yeah, I I really liked it. And I liked it in a way that almost makes me regretful that I didn't see it until now, because it's the type of thing that I feel like if I had seen and internalized this when I was younger, like if this was one of the movies that I happened to catch in rotation on, on say, an HBO uh, a number of times, I feel like cut to today, this would be like a, like a comfort food movie for me i feel like it has that kind of um uh famil- that kind of like friendly familiarity right like it all it really does feel like these are friends that i want to hang out with and i want to go through the ups and downs with them because they are such likable um relatable people but tari this was your pick so i guess i want to ask you why waiting to exhale and like what was your introduction to it and what does it do for you that made you want to talk about it well, I introduced this this week because it's the beginning of our month called 
all in the Kool-Aid. That's what that's what it is. Uh, I explained it last week, but uh, August being a month that was uh, essentially retroactively inserted into the calendar, we wanted to focus on stuff that is about people inserting themselves into situations that they don't belong. And Waiting to Exhale is a prime example because it displays all the different ways that relationships can be messy. And one of the big catalyst things that happen in this movie is that there is a big amount of infidelity, which is the ultimate person being all up in the Kool-Aid, don't know the flavor, don't know your relationship. They don't know what you're going through, but they like, I'm gonna put my penis or vagina in this. Um, I mean, uh, but, you know, uh, not to make it seem like the person who is uh, in the monogamous relationship doing the cheating isn't responsible because they are. They should have better communication with their partner and, and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But it, that's how it fits into this uh, this month's theme. Uh, also, uh, this is a movie that I feel like I grew up with in that we owned the soundtrack. And so I would hear all of the songs uh, like a lot. Uh, the Mary J. Blige Not Gonna Cry song was played a bunch by like my mom, my sisters, myself. Uh, we had it on cassette tape. Uh, and I feel like I, I really grew up uh, also knowing these characters and, and really uh, feeling like they, I mean, because they, they all felt like my mom, <laughs> basically. Um <laughs> Not like, oh, look at look at my mom's, but uh, more like, I think that my mom specifically had very similar experiences to these women, um, and so I related in that regard. Um, and I also just found it like, a, as you were saying, like really comforting uh, as a movie, in that like it is something that we used to quote in, in our household and stuff like that. Um, and I, I. I love all black movies that's my shit that's my jam uh and this was one of especially at the time uh uh one of the only all black uh lead and all black uh like productions uh at the time and and it, it stood out and it and it's like a commercial release it made uh, a heavy profit and people in all four quadrants loved it. Uh, and I felt like that was a very rare thing for what people would qualify as like a black movie because it features all, uh, black players. Um, and I also love to hear that you as a, uh, you know, cishet white male was like, this is super relatable because it is an illustration that just because the leads of a thing, aren't uh don't look like you you can still like commiserate and understand how those people feel yes Um, obviously obviously cannot claim to have uh an overlapping lived experience but yes i think as presented it's it's uh, tough not to empathize completely with these women in my opinion yeah and so i'm gonna take that clip uh, of you being like so relatable and anytime I pitch a black as fuck thing I'm gonna be like listen to this white male talk about how relatable these these black sexy women are uh, and the the fucking uh, people the like executives are gonna be like well we can't argue against empirical evidence 
Uh, it's empirical evidence. So, like, it must be true. Oh, uh, I'm Barack Obama. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I agree late. I now make movies. Uh, black movies. It's me, Barack Obama. I'm making black movies. <laughs> Anyways. It's just like the, the the people investigating me are just listening to hours and hours of tape. And I, is this me doing an Obama impersonation or am I being <laughs> investigated by Obama? Or are we all doing an Obama impersonation? No, we're not all. No, <laughs> only I can do the, the Obama impression on this podcast. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so, yes, that has been my experience with Waiting to Exhale. And I think I had this in my pocket for a, a time when I could share it with you. And I'm really glad you enjoyed it. Uh, I'm super anxious to talk about the story and get into all the different aspects. I mean, it follows four different women and their tales. And they all interconnect because they are friends or they are tangentially related because of the connecting character, which is play, which is Gloria played by Loretta Devine. Uh, so I'm really excited to jump in on that. Uh, so I think I'm going to start lowering down that spoiler wall. Ting, 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 ting. It's coming down. Ting, 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 ting. Uh, and while it's, while it's slowly moving and all the gears are turning and the chains are lowering, I feel like it's a good time to remind you that something that really helps us uh, get to the top of the charts is if you go to Apple Podcasts and you leave us a rating or review, uh, we read five-star reviews here on this podcast. So if you leave one, you'll get a wonderful shout-out. Um, and that also helps us, you know, get sponsors and it helps us to keep building our audience and just helps us feel good about ourselves in this time where it's hard to feel good about yourself. Uh, so we would thank you if you find yourself with the time to do so. Um, if you are looking to check out Waiting to Exhale, you're like, oh man, these make these guys made it sound so good. Then you can catch it on most streaming platforms. I watched it on Amazon for rent. It's also available on uh, Vudu uh, and I believe YouTube for rent. So check it out. It's worth your time, worth your a minuscule amount of money if you want to rent it uh so guys check it out support support black media support people support waiting to exhale because i love it also find the soundtrack it's on it's on spotify and you can also listen to it and you're gonna be like "Ooh, these are bangers uh so we are going to come back with all of the juicy juicy hot goss about this movie right after this break All right, we are back. Lex, I think you know what time it is. It's time for you to bust a recap. I'm a wet bullet. <laughs> Why is it wet? Because it, it's wet. It's a wet bullet. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's in the name. I do. I do also just want to float for the record that uh, the hot goss is my favorite nickname for actor Louis Gossett Jr. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, most people try to use it for, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Gosling, but I like your use better. 
look, hey, Ryan Gosling, very handsome man, but there is only one hot goss, and that is Louis Gossett Jr. That's true. I agree. <laughs> so, uh, Waiting to Exhale, obviously, is a story about four uh, best friends who are all dealing with their own relationship issues as they try and navigate romance and love and find uh, a partner that makes them feel seen and supported and fulfilled. Now, it's not a heavily plot-driven movie, but each of the four women uh, does have her own uh, arc through uh, both relationships and through uh, their journey towards fulfillment and self-discovery. So I figure we'll take it one character at a time. So our first uh, first character, we have Savannah, and this is the Whitney Houston character. Now, Savannah, is uh, she's a successful producer, but she is in love with a man who is married. Now, she's got a, a mother she's got a great relationship with who's sort of her confidant. And after a couple of failed relationships, she decides, I'm going to sort of take myself out of the environment I'm in now, and I'm going to go move to Phoenix so I can hang out with my friends. And uh, she she dates off and on. Um, and I want to ask you, by the way, when we when I finish this recap, I want to ask you uh, who your favorite of all of the women's individual dates are, uh, whether it is who they end up with ultimately or not. Um, okay. But she she tries to date, you know, uh, a handful of different people. But at a certain point, thanks to her mother, who who's very well intentioned. Um, if a little misguided, uh, she ends up reunited with uh, Kenneth, who's a married businessman that she had fallen in love with and is carrying on a relationship with her on the side. But ultimately, she comes to realize that Kenneth is never going to leave his wife and that uh, ultimately she is going to have to find somebody for, for herself that is not committed in a different direction that is not going to lead her on someone that is going to respect her enough to give themselves over to their love uh, completely and exclusively. And it's nice. She also throws water onto Kenneth's pants and apparently <laughs> Kenneth cries. Apparently Kenneth calls her mother and cries about it because his pants got wet. Right. And what, what greater shame uh, in this, in this life could there be than wet pants, wet pants in public. <laughs> that's by the way, that's uh, this the spinoff movie about uh, Kenneth uh, is called Wet Pants in Public. And it's the story about how Kenneth, the married businessman, uh, the philandering businessman, got water on his pants, then went on like a, a sort of a journey of fulfillment of his own and became uh, the, the Allstate guy. Nice. Because that, by the way, is where you probably know Dennis Haysbert from now is he is the Allstate guy. Right. Um, so well, she was just putting out his lion pants on fire you know what i'm saying <laughs> so <laughs> yes hot goss um so <laughs> so uh her best friend is bernadine now uh bernadine uh many years ago started uh business with her husband but she to do so sort of abandoned her own dreams put her dreams aside to start this company with her husband so that they could uh ideally hopefully build a stable life together which they do for a while um they have this business they have two kids but at a certain point uh her husband basically comes to her and drops the bomb that we are splitting up and that uh I am essentially going to try to take everything, including our kids. Uh, and uh, by the way, her ex-husband is played, of course, by uh, Michael Beach, who pretty recently, if you're a big old nerdy nerd, you would have seen as uh, Black Manta's dad in Aquaman. So uh, 
she and her husband split, but because of the way he goes about handling it, she is very, uh, understandably, very uh, mad at the series of slights that are being visited upon her. So, uh, for example, she puts all of her ex-husband's stuff into uh, into the car, which she sets on fire in the driveway. Uh, she then uh, sells off the remainder of the husband's possessions. Uh, for like a dollar a piece, just just to get rid of it all, just to to start. It's the it's the Marie Kondo thing. This stuff doesn't bring me joy, so I'm getting rid of it <laughs> and stuff. Um, and so then she decides, okay, no more, um, no more kind of taking it from this guy. I'm going to try and seize power in my life. So not only does she uh, restyle her hair, looking great, feeling good, goes out into the world, and she starts to to date uh, as well. And two two big pivotal things happen uh, in Bernie's storyline. One uh, fairly shortly after the other. The first is that she meets a man at a bar in a hotel. And this man is the Wesley Snipes character. And they get into a conversation about, well, about life and, and their sort of uh, the, the issues that they're facing uh, romantically. And it comes up that Wesley Snipes is a married man, but his love, uh, the love of his life, his wife is dying and he is not looking for anything cheap, anything smutty. He just he sees something in this woman that he meets at the bar and there is this connection there. And it's something that is that is real, but it's something that is not predicated on sex the way so many men in these stories are uh, sort of approaching women and approaching relationships. It is very much sex based. For this character, it seems to be rooted in something else. And he makes clear that he will never leave his wife no matter what. He will be with her for the rest of her life, uh, will do anything for her because that is how much she has meant to him. And they do spend the night together, but they spend the night together not in a sexual way, but in a way that is truly beautiful. And that's what Wesley Snipes' character says he wants. He wants to make that night beautiful. And they just spend the night holding each other. And it's this very pure, very tender, uh, ultra non-toxic uh, version of, a, of an adult physical and loving relationship. Uh, no, no bullshit kind of made me cry. Um, and so very shortly thereafter, um, a, it becomes clear that uh, this man, although he is still with his wife, his wife is still alive. He's not leaving his wife for uh Bernadine makes it clear that he is interested in being a part of her life if she is interested in being a part of his. And uh, she is able to uh, finally take her husband to court and win her fair share of everything that they built together. So now not only is she uh, back to being financially independent and financially empowered. Um, and not for nothing, her husband finally, in the end, when he knows he's been beaten, is like the classier version of how he could handle the, those last moments in the courtroom and stuff. Um, but she is now a little bit more uh, uh, empowered and independent that way. And she has a relationship, I think, and my hope for these two characters is that this is a relationship um, between her and the Wesley Snipes character that can continue and can, can be something that is good and pure and supportive and not complicated and not toxic and not damaging. And I, I wish them the best because I thought that was super tender and super nice. So third character, we have Robin and Robin is uh is a pretty successful career woman, but who is uh, sort of stuck in this really toxic pattern with a married man named uh, Russell, 
who she is very fixated on. But of course, he keeps assuring her, well, I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my wife. Just never quite seems to happen. And so at a certain point, she decides, well, I'm going to go and, and try and date around as well. She has a couple of uh, uh, dates that don't pan out the way she wants. It looks like it might actually work uh, okay with uh, with Michael for a minute, played by Wendell Pierce. But then, of course, uh, uh, workplace complications uh, color the relationship in a way that makes it untenable. I also, you'd think that HR would have opinions about their relationship, but that, I suppose, is another plot line for another movie. Mm-hmm. She gets uh, some fruit thrown at her from the street. At one point, which is not good. That is not how you want any relationship uh, to dissolve. Uh, you do not want fruit throwing to enter the equation. That's when you know things have taken a turn and there is no turning back when the fruit uh, begins to be thrown, especially when it's being thrown uh, from the street to a balcony or vice versa. When you're literally crossing uh, the the story threshold with the fruit, you know things have taken a turn uh, in a pretty devastating way. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Her, her relationships aren't uh, necessarily panning out the way she wants as well. And for a minute there, it really looks like she may end up going back to Russell, who reappears and insists, oh, I'm going to leave my wife. I'm going to leave my wife. Um, and and of course, he doesn't. And she finally, uh, finally has to be real with herself and and accept that this man is never going to to be the man that he purports to be. He's never going to have the strength of character and the strength of will to leave his wife. He's just going to continue to try and have his cake and eat it too. And so she decides I am actually better off by myself than trying to uh, contort my reality to fit the desires of somebody like that. And she reveals that she is actually carrying his child, but that she wants to keep it and that she wants to raise it. And she, can do it. She can do it because she's got her friends around. She doesn't need a man who treats her poorly. She she has everything she needs. And and she has a great example, by the way, of being a single mother in her friend Gloria, who is the fourth of this quartet. Uh, Gloria is a single mother, and she's raising her son Tariq by herself because her husband, his father, left uh, some years prior uh, for reasons that are not clear at the outset, but become clear when he returns, plays Giancarlo Esposito's character, to reveal that for many years he identified as bisexual and now uh, identifies as gay and then essentially pieces out, gives uh, gives their son a very teeny tiny window to make contact, which is, it's, there's a whole, there's so much to unpack um, in, in this family dynamic uh, that is also maybe another another story for another show. But now he has uh, all but officially planted a flag that says, yep, you guys are, are uh, sort of on your own. I'm out. I'm going to go do my own thing. And uh, so she is she is left alone with her son. But more than that, with her feelings about the fact that her son is 17, he's graduating high school soon, and he wants to go on a trip to Spain instead of going directly to college basically in the next neighborhood over. And she's having to deal with, uh, yes, empty nest syndrome, but also the fact that she lost the man in her life and is now about to lose the new man in her life. And now into this equation steps uh, a new neighbor. And this new neighbor is uh, Marvin King, played by the great Gregory Hines. And uh, he is a widower 
and he is also alone and he starts to spend a good amount of time with the mother and her son, eventually becoming something of a surrogate father to Tariq um, and becoming uh, cl clearly an exemplar of the, the kind of loving and supportive partner that Gloria wants and Gloria deserves. And he, he ultimately helps her see that she needs to sort of be able to look past her own feelings, her fears about her son leaving home and sort of embrace that change, but also embrace uh, herself and embrace their relationship and embrace a new kind of love. And I feel like their love story as well is, is another one that is um, so tender and so touching as to uh, genuinely elicit uh, a tear or two from me. Um, and this this story spans the course of a year. We open um, around one New Year's and we close on another. And we see how the four women have, in the span of this past year, um, grown and changed and stepped further into their best selves and their best lives. And things have changed. Um, relationships have started and ended. Um, chapters in their lives have closed. New ones have begun. But the four of them are still there. They still love each other. They're still um, as tight as sisters. And, and it's, it's optimistic and it's nice. And it's, it's one of those things where you, you hope, uh, or, or rather, hang on, how do I phrase this? It's one of those things where you look at the relationships between these four characters and you go, we should all be so blessed as to have people in our lives that we can share things like that with. So I dug it a whole bunch. Man, that's that's uh, my my take on waiting to exhale. Uh, I I liked it. It did it for me. It's a good take. Um, I will. I would like to add that, like the thing, something I really like about this story is as you were going through it, I was realizing how rare it is to see a story like this where it is all these women who are um, they're. Over the age of 30, they ha are in different uh, levels of having been in relationships. Some are uh, kind of single and ready to mingle. Some of them are in uh, are divorced. Some of them are single parents. Some of them are in the midst of their messy divorce after a long-running relationship. And I don't feel like you get that kind of story very often. Like, a lot of romances are... Uh, I guess young people's games um, or it is like one woman striking out doing their eat pray love um, and they have to like figure out you know oh who am I outside of relationships and stuff but right. this like you get this aspect of how much their relationships are integral to their everyday life and they have to like live in that life and, and figure out how to make it work and find happiness uh, in, in the situation that they are currently in. And you, you watch them having to navigate the like nuance of that aspect, as opposed to being like, I just gotta go, I'm just gonna leave it all behind and start afresh. It's like, no, like your life, is uh what it is and you have to figure out how to make it a life worth living with what you have and i really love this aspect of the story that uh you get to really relate to uh people who don't often get the spotlight um this is like a, a 
what I feel like is a, a common occurrence. And like, even now, like I, I hear from so many black women about how difficult it is to find these like lasting relationships because like, you know, a, I won't speak for women, uh, especially black women, but like dudes are garbage. Um, yeah. And, uh, for one reason or, or another, like black women are overlooked in almost every aspect of our society, like, you know, career wise, romance wise, uh, healthcare wise, like black women get a very shitty end of the stick. Um, and it's nice to have this, this film that is showcasing the, the issues that they go through and the hurt that they feel and give you a way of just getting just like a tiny sliver of the 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 experience that they have um so i also i love this movie um you were asking me earlier uh during your recap about whom is my favorite ship uh and i agree or i don't know if i don't know if it is your favorite but uh the the Gregory Hines Loretta Divine relationship I think is one of the most healthy relationships. It is a relationship that I think is additive to both of their lives. Um, I think they are very good for each other. I think that he uh, kind of he like enters this relationship knowing her whole situation and doesn't treat her like oh you're just a a divorcee single mom he's like no i'm gonna give you all the respect that you deserve uh i'm going to jump in and uh try to be a a part of your son's life Uh, i'm gonna advocate for your son and i'm going to try to get you to love yourself as well you know because i also love you and uh there's that moment at the end like i think whenever i think back to this movie that scene where uh, they are recon- reconciling because she's realizing that she uh, was driven by fear in their their argument, uh, and he is like, you know, and I love you, and it's there's a, such a surprise on her face that she could be loved by someone, and that right. like it's while it's heartbreaking, it's also like a really, as you were saying, like a really tender moment. That I think that like that moment when they kiss and we like pan away, that's that is the movie to me is this culmination of someone's struggles uh, leading to something that is ultimately good for them. Not to say that like your struggles have to lead to something good and like not to say that like I'm just retroactively justifying struggles, but like that's the dream. And this whole movie is like fantasy wish fulfillment and that like these women get to do what everyone wants to do after going through uh, a terrible toxic relationship situation they get to you know burn their uh their the the stuff of the person who scorned them they get to tell the person off who's been stringing them along they get to advocate for their own uh you know, their own wants and desires. They get to become the fullest version of themselves. Like that, I think is the, the ultimate form of being able to bounce back from a shitty toxic situation. And I'm, I love that this movie gets to explore that. 
Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So do you, what, what is your favorite relationship? Well, so to me, if I wasn't going to go with the Gloria Marvin relationship and it almost seems like the most obvious alternate answer, but uh, I am so taken with the relationship between Bernadine and James Wheeler, the Wesley Snipes character, because they walked that line so, so efficiently. It would have been so incredibly easy to write that relationship in such a way where even if you cast Wesley Snipes and he's super handsome, super charming, and you completely get why Bernadine might be drawn to him, I feel like if they had consummated that relationship physically, the whole thing plays out a little bit questionable and and weird and like, you can wrap your head around a version of this where it's, uh, you know, okay. But it's still like with his wife at home, uh, ill and, and dying, it, it, it would probably not play quite as well. And I think it's a very complicated scenario and a very complicated dynamic. Um, and where it leaves these two characters, like, yes, I love my wife very much, but I also feel something for you as well. And can we not, not, I'm going to step out on my wife. Certainly I would never do that, but we can maybe be here and be a comfort for each other um, while this is going on. And it leaves the door open, potentially, theoretically, maybe one day down the line, we can be in each other's lives um, in an even more substantive way, possibly. But I like that it is both um, incredibly tender um, and incredibly complex. Um, But in a way, in a way, it's complex from an outsider's point of view, but in a way, I suppose from from Bernadine's perspective, it actually simplifies things a great deal because here is a man who will kind of be all of the things that it seems like these women are looking for in a relationship who has all of the qualities that people are looking for, but without uh, the complication of sort of trying to bring in sexual politics into the relationship and having to navigate that as well. Um, and so I like the, I really like the complexity of it. I feel like it's sort of a, a bit of a challenging dichotomy um, and an even more challenging dichotomy to, to pull off um, in the way they did, where you come away going, oh my God, that is so touching and sweet, as opposed to this is super questionable behavior um, in every conceivable direction. And it's, it's a relationship that like if they were to do a spinoff or a sequel, I would almost want it to be about trying to navigate that dynamic because that sounds complex and that sounds fascinating. But um, yeah, I would go with that one because it's challenging, but so tender that it still made me cry. Le- legit made me cry. The reveal of the two of them um, holding each other in bed, like actually swear to God, rolled a tear. So I would go with that one. Okay. Um, I mean, there were talks about a, a sequel back in 2011, um, uh, but I mean, now they they couldn't do it because uh, Whitney Houston is dead. Um, yes. It's a tragedy. Um, like even in the midst of filming this, I believe it is rumored that she had uh, she was suffering from a drug addiction, um, which is super bummer. Um, but like, yes, I think that, uh, given the, where everything leads off, leaves off, I think you could totally have a sequel and, and really explore the nuances of like, even though you're, you're starting something new, like, how do you 
shake off the the like toxicity that you had experienced and like how do you not fall into the like fear or the bad habits or like question the legitimacy of your own happiness you know so like yes totally uh and you uh when you were talking about the dynamic between wesley snipes and uh angela bassett i mean you were talking about their characters but like for me i think another big aspect of this movie is that everyone in it is acting the shit out of their scenes um even like every one-on-one scene there's so much like just nuance in in terms of the facial expressions the everything feels so lived in you you really have this this feeling that these people have been friends for years and they care about each other and they love each other and they want the best for each other and you are allowed to have all of these like one-on-one discussions where people are um really trying to work out what they're feeling and and the person who isn't speaking in the midst of their their monologue is really allowing themselves to feel the weight of what is being said and like even just the the individual dynamics like that scene with wesley snipes and and angela bassett where they're bantering in the bar and he's talking about how he sees this like fighting spirit in her eyes and like at first she's just like i don't have time to be hit on and you really start to kind of dive into where they are in terms of their their current relationships but like you feel the the magnetism between the two of them that i think is very difficult to pull off in such a small confined space in such a short amount of time that they have in this movie but everyone is at the top of their ability and really just going forward and really establishing those connections which i think like is nice in that it it also makes the the comedic moments stand out as well in that they are so big and farcical that they contrast really nicely and don't really like hurt the tone as as much as you would think going between such like intimate uh like character scenes and then going into a scene where a guy is <laughs> just like humping very uh enthusiastically uh <laughs> for a for a very short time like this movie has a lot of like what i feel are what i can assume are first person experiences of dudes thinking they're hot shit uh when they're just like i'm gonna bust in like a minute baby and the, the woman has no real feeling like you you can tell uh in this movie from this movie's perspective that a guy is a fairly decent dude if he like takes the time to go down on one of the women, um, which I think we got we got with um, the Kenneth character. He ultimately turned out to be uh, hot garbage, um, but like you can tell that uh, that Whitney Houston Savannah character was enjoying that experience. Uh, yes, yeah, and like the only thing that really was was shitty about that dude is that she came to realize that like people who are very gung-ho to engage in infidelity aren't the best people to try to nail down as long-term partners 
because if they are willing to cheat on this other person, then who's to say that they will not do the same to you? Um, so like, there's a lot of reflection that needs to happen for, uh, before you can really try to engage in a real meaningful relationship with someone, especially if your first interaction with them is, is being their mistress or their mister, I assume is the male version of a mistress. Um, or a mystics, if you're non-binary, I don't, I don't know what the like gender terms of this is, but if you're the other person, um, you, uh, you know, I, I can imagine there needing to be a sense of caution, uh, if the person that you're with one refuses to leave their, their significant other, but also like if they engage in this behavior on a regular basis, then you are essentially going to be the next in, in a, a line of people that they get tired of and try to find something new with. Right. At the very least, it doesn't say much good about your prospects. Yes. Um, something I really like about this movie is it doesn't shy away from the fact that like dudes are shit and they will treat you like shit. Um, and like, you know, it's, it's hard to find dudes who have, uh, like a sense of respect for women and like that's a really ingrained in our society as i was saying earlier about how shitty we treat black women um and i and but it's not an excuse you know uh and i like that this movie like really goes out of its way to be like these people exist this is how people are like the 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 character who was played by bubba uh mckelty williamson yes uh, so the guy played by McKelty Williamson, thank you, Lex, uh, ha- he, his character is uh, this dude who feels like he uh, owns women and will try to manipulate them into staying with him. Like the moment she was thinking about breaking up, he was like, hey, baby, you want to you want to you want to meet my mama? And, you know, Robin at that point was. Uh, something specific about her character, which I felt really bad about is that like, she is willing to take scraps because she just wants that feeling of love and acceptance. And she wants someone to uh, try to put in the effort to, to make a relationship work. And so she's willing to just kind of take whatever she can get. Um, and so this guy is like, you want to meet my mom? Uh, and it's like, that is the minimalist that you could do. But also you guys only know each other for a few days. Calm down. But he's taking advantage of her desire for that type of relationship. You know, that like desire to fast track into something serious. Yes. Um, I, I do like one through line uh, that I noticed both while watching the movie and also now uh, thinking about it again, listening to you describe some of these dynamics. You were talking a few minutes ago about um, about tone and how, you know, this movie can deftly weave multiple tones together. Like like I said early in this discussion, I didn't anticipate laughing quite as much as I, I ended up laughing in this movie. And I think. A lot of that comes down to you don't have to stray very far from from reality to depict some of these dynamics the way that they do, by which I mean, uh, you said, you know, obviously not to speak for any women, but but men are frequently garbage. But but more than that, I think and not to 
speak for women here either, but uh, I think men are also fundamentally ridiculous. Um, and I think that the best version of like sort of traditional masculinity and the performative aspects of traditional masculinity, even in its most non-toxic form, is still fundamentally ridiculous. Um, and that's sort of the the Troy character, the McKelty Williamson character in a nutshell. That's sort of the the Russell character in a nutshell. And like it's it these guys don't have to or the 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 characters rather, you don't have to do too terribly much to make their material funny. You just need an actor that can carry it off because these men are fundamentally so ridiculous. Even the ones that don't present as such, like Kenneth, the Dennis, the Dennis Haysburg character, uh, is still fundamentally a ridiculous person as far as how he uh, continues to try and get tripped up in his own bullshit as he tries to bullshit other people. Um, they're all fundamentally ridiculous men um and actually one one thing that is a lot of fun that we get uh, as a byproduct of that is uh i'm a big wendell pierce fan mm -hmm. um i saw him first on the wire and then uh i think i saw him next on uh, treme and he's phenomenal on both shows and he gets to be you know he's kind of a, a big dude but he gets to be you know kind of like a sexual being and stuff so he gets to be a very different kind of sexual being here and uh one total blast to get to see him play against the type that I'm used to seeing him play. But also another example of a man who is just honestly like, yes, he's, he turns out to be a bit of a dick, but I think whose gravest sin is that he is just such a fundamentally ridiculous person and cannot <laughs> see past his own fundamental ridiculousness. And I think that's true of almost every single man in this story with very few exceptions. And I think uh, Marvin is, is maybe the biggest exception, but I also think, uh, you know, James Wheeler manages to dodge that bullet as well. Um, but, but yeah, it's the fundamental ridiculousness of these male characters. And I think, again, not to speak for any women um, who definitely get the short end of the stick in, in terms of these uh, relationship dynamics, but like, yeah, I think that's pretty true to life as well. Like uh, again, even the most non-toxic, versions of performative masculinity are still, in my opinion, fundamentally ridiculous. Right. And yeah, it's it's the relationships and, and it's no it's no accident that the relationships that are the most resonant, the most um, affecting and the most believable as something sustainable long term in this movie are relationships where all of that performative goofy nonsense is absent. Yeah, I agree. And you were talking about Wendell Pierce and he, uh, his character, Michael, I was actually at, when we first met him, I was, I was rooting for him in that, like, right? he, he subverted what her expectations were of him. And he started to, beyond the, like, bad sex, um, which, like, I would, ar I could argue that he, that might have been his first time. Um, <laughs> but, like... I mean, like by the based on the way he was acting, like that that could have been like his first experience. And like that aside, he took the time to be like, "Look, girl, like, what do you want? Like, I want I want to be a part of your life. Like, I want to give you the things that you want in life." And like they they broke up because he kept um actually actually eating her in like at work and trying to like kind of dominate in that experience, even though like. I think essentially she was like his boss. Um, so it was almost like he was trying to make up for his shortcomings in the relationship 
in the professional environment, which toxic. But I was like, yeah, it's not. Yeah, not a good dynamic. I was, I was, I was rooting for him because like he took the time. Like he wasn't like the Lionel character who was like, yo, I'm a deadbeat and I'm going to use your toothbrush and I'm just going to fucking try to get some pumps off before I leave my dude. Um, But like he was actively trying to get to know her, which I respected. But like that also shows that like even the like he kind of fits what now, uh, you know, 20 years after uh this movie came out is what we kind of know as like the nice guy trope where he's like uh i'm a nice guy i i, I ask I, I, i'm nice to girls but they're still my property Ooh, yeah girls girls are less than men but i'm nice to them so they need to give me uh sex but i do think too like when you first meet him, I, I'm with you completely. Like you really, you're inclined to root for it. And I think it's really the only time in the movie that we see where, yeah, like there's a man who's really asking Robin what she wants. And it seems because uh, of the way Wendell Pierce plays it, it seems so genuine and so earnest. But even then I start like my, my, like the, the, the hairs on my neck, the, like the Peter tingle went off. And uh, I I was like, something about this. And what it is, is it all felt like um, implicitly transactional. You know what I mean? Like he wants something from her, but it's like, okay, what do you want? Oh, I can give you this house and I can give you uh, these getaways and I can even, I'll even give you kids if that's what you want. But the unspoken, but Uh the unspoken second half to that, that thought is, and in exchange, you are going to give me you essentially. Right. And so yeah, it's not until it's not until um, the later scene where he does sort of grossly try to well actually her in front of all of their coworkers uh, that it becomes clear that it's more likely that it is uh, that sort of implied transaction than anything genuine. Um, even still, before we get to the the turn in their relationship, it's still played a little bit like uh, this sounds good, Robin, but maybe like at least one of your eyebrows should be a little higher up than it is uh, in this scene. Yeah. Um, because something's a little, something's a little off and not, not for nothing too, man. Like, you know what? If he found a discrepancy in those reports, yes, he should probably tell her, but like do it afterwards. Just do it after the meeting. <laughs> right. Do it over dinner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he like explicitly is like, Hey, I want to talk about this thing. And she's like, that thing is good. And he's like, actually, it's not. Mm, look how cool and smart I am. I have a big giant penis, um, which is bullshit. I mean, she was, but she was still in, in scraps mode. So like, I get it. Um, but she should also like, if she aren't attracted to him, like fucking don't, don't be with him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, fuck that guy. Non-literally, figuratively. <laughs> but you know we're not we're not judgy so no whatever you want right yeah do what you want um but yeah i think we're we're getting close to the to to the end so do you have any final thoughts about this movie before we wrap up i would absolutely love to see a follow-up to this movie, which of course uh, we can't really do because yes, as, as you mentioned, Whitney Houston has passed away. I was reminded every frame 
uh, Whitney Houston was on screen in this movie of what a truly, truly horrible loss uh, it was that we lost her so young. Um, she is wonderful in this, as are all of uh, uh, the leads in this movie. Um, I do think, though, what you could still do and you could even do it um, in in the time of covid where everybody has to be socially distanced, you could do it as like a one act play. Do a like distanced one act play between the uh, Angela Bassett character and the Wesley Snipes character, um, c- like catching up with them now, like 15, 15, 20, 25, 25, 25 yeah. years later. Dang, 25 years later. See where they're at. Like Angela Bassett still works. Wesley Snipes kind of went away for a little bit. But and this is my uh, <laughs> I can I can reference I can reference Dolomite is my name twice in two weeks. Uh, he showed up in that and is clearly having a blast and is such a blast to watch in it so i trust that that uh snipes could still bring it as well just give me a one act and have them do it via zoom like honestly i'm not even i'm i swear to god i'm not even kidding like if you can approach because their relationship is is not predicated on the physical like yes they they held each other and that's the last sort of moment we get with the two of them together but their relationship is mostly predicated on a, a different kind of connection and i do think if you can bring half the quality uh, to the writing that they brought to the writing of the relationship in the movie, I genuinely think you could you could have something. You know, um, I would watch the crap out of that. Yeah, but yes, I I liked this a whole bunch. I I was expecting to enjoy it uh, up to a point. I really was not expecting to have it hit me on the number of different levels that it did, and I was not expecting it to be the kind of movie that made me go, oh, I feel like. I mean, we don't have, you know, we don't live in a world now where flipping channels is that common an occurrence, but in a world where where one day we may uh, have a shuffle option that takes everything on every streaming service and just pick something at random like you're flipping channels on TV, if I came across Waiting to Exhale, my guess is I would just let it play through to the end. Nice. Because I really, I dug it a lot. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> uh, yes, I am really glad that you liked it. Uh, this was uh, a nice nostalgia thing for me. I am back to listening to the soundtrack again because I had forgotten about it and I missed it. Um, this was also a reminder that until recently, uh, Michael Beach has been starting to show up again. But like for a long time, to me, he was always the cheating garbage person. Um, we talked about soul food uh, months and months and months ago. And he was also the guy who uh, had sex with the cousin, the cousin uh, cheating on his wife at that time. So like Michael Beach to me was just a renowned cheating bastard. Uh, and so now he's like, filled out a bit he's gotten more muscular so he looks different um which is enough to remove that idea of who he was to me uh and who he is now so that's nice uh good for him that is nice yeah well also also i guess uh since you since you brought up uh michael beach and soul food um another crossover cast member from soul food is uh young brandon hammond Mm -hmm. who is also our main kid uh in soul food and I think I must have had this while we were watching Soul Food back when we talked about it. But the whole time I'm watching this movie, I'm like, okay, where this kid's face at about this exact age is seared into my brain and I can't place him. And I I figured it out. And I'm so very glad that I did. 
he's also Michael Jordan's son in Space Jam. Yes. And he's also one of the kids in Mars Attacks, yeah. which I I completely not put together before now. But one other little fun thing, uh, or I think it's fun. He was also um, one of the main cast of uh, Gregory Hines' short-lived sitcom, The Gregory Hines Show, which also co-starred Wendell Pierce. Oh, nice. And then sidebar, of course, we also, uh, what, probably almost 10 years ago now, also lost uh, Gregory Hines, which uh, way too soon, and and he's seriously, severely missed because he was also a massive, massive talent. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so, all right. Well, well on that note... Uh, <laughs> uh, say say something goofy. Somebody throw an orange. Ah, oh boy, is that my toothbrush? Anyways, um, <laughs> thank you for joining us on this episode of Missing Out. We hope that you have enjoyed our discussion about waiting to exhale. We hope that you continue to. Join us for the rest of this month, known as All Up in the Kool-Aid, which is a phrase that Wesley Snipes uses in this movie. Uh, and so next week, we, we are going to be talking about the Riddick trilogy, starting with Pitch Black, Chronicles of Riddick, finally with the movie, just simply known as Riddick. Uh, the character who inserts himself into these big sweeping sci-fi adventures. Uh, so that is where it fits in the context of our all up in the Kool-Aid series. Uh, but until then, uh, Lex, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael, and I also do another podcast with my partner Marianne Ramish. It is called Friends with Benefits, where we take a look at the massive pop culture juggernaut that is the television show Friends, now streaming on HBO Max, so you can sign up and watch along with us. She is a big fan of that particular program, and I am to date not. And so we're going to break down every single episode of this show from a fan perspective and from a critical perspective. And uh, we, we're a little bit into season two now, so there's, there's plenty of time to catch up. Join us. Uh, it's called Friends with Benefits. Uh, you can find it wherever you find your podcasts. Uh, and Tari J, where can people find you? You can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. Send me all your hot takes about waiting to exhale. Listen to the album with me. It's on Spotify. <laughs> um, but most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Once we finalize the schedule for this month, beyond next week we will be posting that on our twitter so keep an eye out for that uh and uh also make sure to check out some of the riddicks uh because that's what we're going to be covering next week as i said before until then though this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective go find a ridiculous man and pelt him with fruit hell yeah yeah, here's here's your orange. <laughs> enjoy your citrus. It's like, ow, I don't enjoy the citrus at all. Enjoy it. Uh, meet my mama. She's gonna make some shrimp, shrimp cocktail, shrimp pat tight, shrimp on the barbie. There's, there's fried shrimp. He's still listing food. Throw fruit. <laughs>